This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is a new series. I call it What's Going On. And the prophet Habakkuk said, what's going on? This is God's word. It's powerful and it says a lot to our faith and life. So is, who is this guy Habakkuk? Well, I read the MacArthur Study Bible and it tells me we know very little about Habakkuk. He's just someone God raised up at a time in the history of the nation of Israel. And we're going to see him that he was a lot like you and me. But God does that, folks. He raises up people for what the Bible calls a season and he accomplishes his will in your life through those people for a season and for a reason. If you're going to keep a relationship strong and keep a relationship alive, you have to invest in that relationship, and so does the other party. And folks, sometimes you need to let go of relationships because God has you in that person's life or in that situation. He's got you there for a reason and a season, and he's going to move you out, and you've got to be able to let go of that stuff, see? But how many people have you blessed because you were in their life for a season? And they were in your life for a season, and they look at you and they say, thanks for what you did. Thanks for the part of my life that you were while you were there. I think lots of people like that. I think of all the people who were in this congregation for a season, they moved on, but they blessed us in so many ways, and we were able to bless them in so many ways, too. So God raised up this guy Habakkuk. How old was he? I have no idea. But he was passionate. He had an intimacy with God with the God he knew and loved, because he talks to him like he might talk to a brother. And I'm going to read verse 1. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received from God. In other words, a word from God. He received it from God. Calls Habakkuk the prophet. A prophet is simply one who received God's messages directly or through visions. And then he took the message God gave him and he told it to the people God called him to, the people of Israel. He was the spiritual leader at the time. God would give him a message or an oracle like we see in this word of God. And then Habakkuk would have to take that message and tell it to the people, okay? Now Habakkuk saw the evil in the nation of Israel and he spoke to it. He did what God called him to do. But God was tolerating all this evil, and, and he, and he, he kind of said, what's going on, God? Well, we'll read that in just a minute. But just to show you what was going on in the nation of Israel at that time, you've got to look at Psalm 106, a couple of Psalm references here in Psalm 106. And you've got to remember this, too. The people of Israel are the called-out people of God. They were the, you might call them the covenant people of God, who were given the special responsibility of reflecting the glory of God to all the pagan, pagan nations around them and reflecting the glory of God to the world. So you look at Psalm 106, and I'm looking at at verse 34 of Psalm 106, and it says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. Now, we live in the New Testament. We would read it like this for us. They did not separate themselves from the people as the Lord had commanded them. But what did they do? Look at the next part. 
verse 35. But they mingled with the nations. We do that. And they adopted their customs, and that was their downfall. Look how bad it got. Verse 37. Verse 36. They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed, listen to this. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. And so they mingled with those nations, and that's what happened. And you look at Psalm 50. And God's getting on these people's case because they're offering meaningless sacrifices. And that's how the Jews were supposed to worship God. Animal sacrifice, that's the way that God prescribed. You worship him by animal sacrifices. And people were offering all their sacrifices, going through the motions of religion, or church, you might say. They were going through the motions of church. They were going through the motions of religion, all the rites and rituals. But listen to Psalm 50, verse 17. You hate my instruction. You're offering all the sacrifice. You're going to worship, but you hate my instruction. You cast my words behind you. That touches me. When you see a thief, you join with them. You throw in your lot with the adulterers. You use your mouth for evil, and you harness your tongue for deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. And that was the condition of the nation of Israel. Now, God knew. I'm back to Habakkuk now. God knew how he made Habakkuk. He made him with the very sensitive spirit to the things of God. And Habakkuk wrote this book, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, in about 587 B.C. And that's very important because the next year in 586 B.C., God would send the foreign army, the army of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies, and they would just roll over Jerusalem. They would just roll over the land of the Jews, and they would destroy much of Jerusalem and much of the land of the Jews. And God would destroy much of this phony religion in the land of Israel. But right now, Habakkuk sees God tolerating all this evil. I mean, if you read Habakkuk, beginning in verse 2, you know, I have to say, don't you feel like this sometimes? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, and you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Watch the news. See, why do you make, isn't this today, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why aren't you doing something about it? See, what's going on here? That's what Habakkuk's saying. Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Look at verse 4. Look at it and tell me if you don't think that sometimes. This is the NIV version. Therefore, the law is, see that, paralyzed. Look at the never in the next verse. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So why do you tolerate injustice, says Habakkuk? Why do you choose to close your eyes to what's going on in this land? How long must I call for help? And then you get to that verse 4, the law is paralyzed, and justice, justice never prevails. Justice is perverted. Some of us ask those questions. Those questions. This man, Habakkuk, knew God. He knew that God was a just God. Justice is who God is. And I think this is the thing that got to Habakkuk. He knew that God is holy. You know, that's kind of what gets to me sometimes. I know God as much as I can, you might say. And I know that God is holy. And I know that part of holiness is you hate sin. Sin is an, not the sinner, but you hate sin. Sin is an abomination to you. And that's why Habakkuk didn't understand this, this tolerance of wickedness and this seeming injustice. And we need to park on this thing about justice for a minute. And the simplest definition of justice I know is, is what's fair. What's fair. If you're a just person, you reward good or righteous living 
and you punish sin or bad behavior. Listen, folks, there's a whole lot of elected officials who, who, who will not stand up against the, the gay agenda. And there's more and more pornography on TV in prime time in the name of the First Amendment and freedom of speech. And we're Christian people with biblical values. And the people who make the, who make the laws are ignoring us. And we could say that's not fair. That's why I relate to these things. We could say that's not fair. Why does God tolerate all this injustice? I mean, it's all going on. All the pornography on TV, all the gay rights agenda, so many more evil things that I could go into. I'm not going to take time to now. And we sit back and we say, um, God, why are you tolerating it? You see, when I look at a holy God, maybe you wonder something like that. So let's talk about justice, folks. But you see, God is holy. And every sin is a great offense against him. And every sin needs to be punished. Every sin, listen now, every sin justly, should justly, justly separate me from God forever. And we call that hell, where Jesus says, our worm does not die, meaning people in hell never die. See, that's fair, folks. We're talking about justice. We're talking about what's fair. I deserve that because God is holy and God did punish my sin. He really did, but how? He laid that sin and all my sins on his own son. Let that get to you. I think about the fact that he laid that sin and all my sin on his own sons, on his own son, and Jesus died in my place bearing my sin. I wasn't separated from God on the cross. He was separated from God on the cross, not me. That was justice. Darkness came over that whole world. Divine justice was pouring down on that small hill that we call Calvary, and I wasn't even born yet. But justice was happening for me. And that's what God did for me, folks, and every believer. I mean, this is, this is doctrinal. This is theological. But I mean, this is so profound. You've got to get a hold of this. I mean, God the Father satisfied both his love for us and his justice by punishing my half-truths and every other sin, by placing my sin and your sin in Jesus Christ and punishing him. His love and his justice was met. It was satisfied. You know, I look at my life and I look at Psalm 40. Every time I read Psalm 40, and I'm bringing this up again next week in part two, but I look at Psalm 40 in verse two. And David says, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. But look at verse two. He lifted me out of my slime, out of my slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's what the Lord did for me. He lifted, that's what my father did for me and for you. He lifted me out of that slimy pit. Now listen, folks, and this is a big now listen. God the Father is just. And to be God, he's got to be just. Some of this stuff is a little deep, but please get a hold of this. God the Father must be just. And that means he must punish sin and reward righteousness. He's got to be fair. If God is to be God, he's got to be just which means he's got to punish sin and he's got to reward righteousness. And the reward of the righteous is heaven with him in sinless perfection forever, time without end for eternity. Because the righteous accept the Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now those who don't accept him, folks, God still has to be just or he won't be God. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ, guess what? That person, or if that person is you, it's you, you're going to have to bear that punishment. 
I mean, it boils down to a very simple, that, that, because you didn't allow Christ to bear it for you. And it boils down to a very simple principle. God's going to be just. And he's going to punish sin. But Christ bears your punishment, or you do. And then you've got to ask yourself, what's it going to be? And those who reject Jesus Christ will be separate from, separate from him forever. I mean, folks, why would you play? If you're here today and you're not there yet with Jesus Christ, why would you play with eternity? Why would you do that? See, God is just. He's got to be just. You've treated people well, and they reject you in one way or another after you treated them well. And you say, where is justice? I heard the story of a church that did something wrong to another church that was depending on it. And that, that situation has been resolved right now. But I got to tell you, when I first heard this, that one church would do this to another church, I was angry. And I seldom, if ever, feel the emotion of anger. anger but, but, but I heard about this whole deal, and I got angry inside. And when I got angry inside, here's the Bible passage, and this is how the Spirit works. This is the Bible passage that came to mind, Matthew 5.44, the way I learned it in confirmation class in the Lutheran Church many years ago in the King James Bible. It says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You pray for them. See, what I wanted to happen, I wanted this church to go south, man. I wanted it to fail. I wanted everything bad to happen. And all of a sudden, the Bible passage comes to mind. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. And I'll even mention Romans chapter 12. You're not going to like this if you want something bad to happen to somebody. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. I mean, this is God's word and it gets very convicting. This, kind of did, this is kind of one of those passages that digs the knife under your skin. Look at this. 17 of Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I could stop there. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. Jump down to verse... Um, Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, he goes on to say this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And man, do you know how difficult that is to do? That's a hard thing to do. Folks, here's why life isn't fair, because we're sinners. We have a fallen, sinful nature. And who's just? Only God. And we're not God. Only God is just or fair. So listen, I mean, you may have this, this thing going on inside you about somebody. There's no justice. And, and, and you may turn this whole thing over to God. You may say, okay, okay God, I'm not going to get vengeance. That belongs to you. But you're looking for God to get the vengeance or the justice. He's not getting it. He's not getting it, see. And you may not see God get justice until you get to heaven. And when you get to heaven, that person who did the injustice, you're going to love him. So you're not going to care, see. I mean, when did Jesus, who loved and helped everyone, when did Jesus Christ, he loved and helped everyone, they, they, they smashed him to a cross. When did he finally get justice? He died. His father raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And finally, he got justice. That was justice. See, I'm saying you may see God's justice come to people who in some way hurt you. You may see that, and then again, you may not see that till eternity. But the point is, life isn't fair, never will be this side of the grave, and we have to leave justice to God. Habakkuk couldn't understand, and this is very important, Habakkuk couldn't understand how a holy and just God could let this evil go on. 
You're sitting there watching this nation. I read it in Psalm 106 and Psalm 50, doing all those bad things and just getting further and further from the Lord. How can you let this go on? So he laid his case before God in verses 1 to 4. And now God is going to answer Habakkuk. Remember, Habakkuk's a prophet of God, and God did speak directly, either with his voice or with visions, to his prophets. So look at verse 5, and I think verse 5 is the most important um, verse in Habakkuk chapter 1 in this first chapter. This is where I want to be. Look at the nations and watch and be, be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if somebody told you. So stand back, Habakkuk, and be amazed. God just told Habakkuk he was going to deal with this situation of people claiming allegiance to the true God and living the opposite. And he was going to deal with all this evil in Israel. And God would now answer Habakkuk in a way that would absolutely blow him away. Look at the nations and watch and stand there, Habakkuk, and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that if somebody would ever tell you that I'm going to do this, you, 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 you would never believe it. See, Israel was the covenant people of God, and God says, I'm about to deal with the evil in Israel, but here's how I'm going to deal with it. Now, read it in a minute. He says, I'm going to send a nation more evil than you. To conquer you. I'm going to send the and take you into captivity. I'm going to send the Babylonians after you. And the Babylonians were the strongest people, strongest army in the world at that time. But they were also the most pagan evil nation at that time. And God's going to raise up that nation and give victory to that pagan nation to end the evil in Israel who were his chosen people. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I just want to read part of this. Look at Habakkuk 1.6. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They're a feared and dreaded people. They're a lot of themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards and all that stuff. I go down to verse 11. And they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men. Look at this. Verse 11, Habakkuk 1. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. They worshiped the idol of self. They had the army. They had the chariots. They had the horse. They had the weapons, man. They had the victories. They're worshiping all that stuff. See, in their own power. That were their idols. And God knew. God knew that when he said this, Habakkuk wasn't going to understand this. And so he said in verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. And I'm going to do something that if somebody would tell you God's going to do this, You'd say, nah, never happened. God wouldn't do anything like that, see? Here's the question, and this is the biggie. If we could understand God, if you could understand him totally, and we, we can understand God in part, but if you could understand God totally, would you have any reason to trust him? See, if God were predictable, would there be any sense of awe? See, God wants us to stand in awe of him. You know, God wants to do something so fantastic and so wonderful in your life, you would have never done it that way, and you would just stand back in awe and say, man, look what God did. And God was about to raise up a nation more wicked than Israel to purge the, to purge the wickedness out of Israel. And that made no sense. I mean, they're more wicked than we are. I mean, we're wicked, but we're not as wicked as them. And so why are you doing this guy? It made absolutely no sense. I mean, isn't it great? Now think about this. Isn't it great that a lot of times God doesn't make any sense? I mean, I just look at the plan of salvation. The plan of, the, 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 does the plan of salvation make a whole lot of sense? I mean, we live in a culture where 
the harder you work, the more you do, the bigger the payoff. And what does the plan of salvation say? You can't earn salvation, but you are saved by grace. It's a free gift. Because if you could earn your salvation, who would get the glory if you could earn it? You would get the glory, right? God wouldn't get the glory. There'd come a point in time where God says, okay, you earn this, I owe you salvation, you're in. And all the glory goes to you. But because salvation is a free gift of God's grace, he gets the glory, see? And people can't understand how God, how anybody, you know, unsaved people can't understand how anybody would give you something like eternal life as a free gift. And that's 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness. It's just to be saved by a man dying on a cross, believe in him and you get the gift of eternal life, you know? That the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Then I jumped down to 1 Corinthians 1.25, but the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. Think about the Tower of Babel. These people on the plains of Shinar, which is also called Babel, built this tower. And the tower was basically saying, look at our technology. And they were building it to the hosts of heaven. And they were building it as an edifice to themselves and their own technology. And they say, look what man can do. And the Tower of Babel is, is a declaration of independence from God, if you remember that story. We declare our independence from God. We have our own wisdom. We have our own technology. We have our own strength. Look at this tower. That's evidence of it. Now, if you were God, what would you expect God to do? What would you expect him to do? I put myself in that situation. If I were God, I'd probably destroy it with lightning and fire. I'd send an earthquake and shake the whole thing to the ground. And while people are standing there looking at the rubble, I'd say, ha, 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 ha. God didn't do that, see? What did he do? I mean, this, this is so neat. Genesis 11, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now look at verse 7. Come, let us go down and what? Confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So they're building the tower and one day the boss says, go get a load of bricks and he says it in French and here's the guy who speaks English and he says, I didn't catch that boss. Could you say that again? And there was no communication and the project shut down and that tower stood there as a, 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 as a symbol to the triumph of God and the ineptness of man. Because God is so much wiser, and he acts in ways that we don't expect. Listen, would you expect God to use a guy like Saul, S-A-U-L, who hated the very mention of the name of Jesus Christ? Would you expect God to, to pick a man like Saul, who hated Jesus Christ, to become the greatest missionary of all time and take the name of Jesus to lost people? See, I, I, I would expect God to use a very righteous, God-fearing, religious man who loved him, and God used Saul. What do you think God can do with Barack Hussein of Obama? Could he make him a vessel for Jesus Christ? See, most of the Christians I talk to think that he is a real prototype of the Antichrist. They do. He's a real charmer. He gets whatever he wants. Does anybody see a bigger picture here than that? I mean, is God so small? It, listen, let me ask this. Is, is, God, is God bound to work out your marriage and your job and your illness 
the way you think he should. Is God bound to that? Is God that small? I mean, if you just have enough faith, God will heal you. Is God limited to that small picture? You're sick or you're in a difficult situation and God will just pluck you out of it or God will heal you? Isn't God bigger than that? I mean, are we going are we, are, are we to reduce God to that? For God to act the way we would expect him to act. Oh, Lord, change my husband or change my wife. Ever think God may change you to accept things you've never accepted before? And the reason he isn't changing your husband or your wife right now is because he's working on you. You're a more important priority to him. He's working on you. And once he does what he wants inside you, then he'll start working on your husband or wife. And the fact is that maybe the way you change may be the way that God's going to change your husband or wife. Ever think about that? Or the person you're in a relationship with or whatever it is. See, God, God is not predictable, folks. When God becomes predictable, you lose your sense of awe and reverence and amazement. And I pray that never happens to you. May it never happen. I mean, I just pray that God will always say to you, Habakkuk 5.1, just stand there, stand there, stand there, dude, and be amazed. That's my paraphrase. Stand there, dude, and be amazed at what I'm going to bring about in your life. Today, we've seen the prophet Habakkuk. He's confused. He's upset because all this evil is going on. He's saying, God, what's going on? It's the title of this sermon. This is series. And God seems to be letting it happen, whereas justice, and we saw that God is a just God, and justice will happen. And as that applies to our lives, justice belongs to God, not to us. And we need to pray for those people who persecute us. And we saw how God's not bound to act like we think he should. He is not predictable. He told Habakkuk, 1-5, I'm going to do something so amazing you wouldn't believe it if someone told you. And we need to trust him and be available, flexible, and I pray that these words are just a blessing to you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.